Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We would love for you to join in our conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you have a question, email or text us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Now here's your host, pastor, author, and Bible teacher, Scott Richards, along with his right-hand man, Sean Richards. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, and welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope, for those of you coming across our broadcast for the first time, is our daily journey through God's Word, one question at the heart at a time, and that is obviously where you come in. You've got questions about the Bible, maybe a passage or two in the Bible you'd like to explore. Uh, maybe uh, some tough questions have been asked you regarding uh, your confidence in the Bible as God's divinely inspired Word. Uh, maybe you've got some questions about the Bible. Maybe you uh, would not identify yourself as a Christian at this point, but you've always had biblical questions, hey, we would welcome those questions on the broadcast. Uh, The only standard for the questions we answer here are pretty simple. Just make sure it's a sincere question. And if you're looking for an answer straight from the Bible, we'll be happy to provide it. The news of the day, in fact, uh, we've got some uh, pretty interesting uh, breaking news to share with you as the uh, broadcast unfolds. Uh, and uh, even the events of tomorrow through biblical prophecy. If you'd like to discuss where this crazy world is heading, we'd be happy to explore that with you as well. But uh, the broadcast uh, literally runs on your questions regarding God's Word. Sean, how can people get those questions to us? Well, if you'd like to join us by email, questionsforhope at gmail.com is available to receive those questions both on and off the broadcast. If you'd like to know the proper spelling of that or engage with us face-to-face, our website is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, or calvarychristianfellowship.com, rather, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, christianfellowship.com. If you click on the Watch Live tab, you can join us face-to-face from 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time in the U.S. Note as well, if you want to know where that fits into your respective time zone, we do have a countdown clock to our next broadcast, and the math can be done accordingly. We'll also have a banner below our smiling faces where you can get the email address added in it to your log or whatever the term would be, contacts, lists, any equivalent. Note as well, if you want to join us on social media, our Facebook page is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and our YouTube page is A Reason for Hope. However, since we can only count on and assume the abuse of power if we are not broadcasting and we don't give you prior notifications as to why it's not a technical mishap it's a a tyrannical tech mishap Uh, feel free to still join us on our website they can't ban us on our own platform yet Uh, note that point as well if we are not uh, broadcasting we will let you know on our facebook page but if you give us a like or subscribe you will be able to stay on point regarding those issues when or where they would come up And note as well, a little bit of foreshadowing before we get into today's broadcast. Our Twitter handle is ScottR4H at Twitter.com. Yeah, look me up at Scott Richards at ScottR4H, and uh, you can follow along with us there. We always provide a link uh, for people to be able to follow the broadcast on Twitter. And uh, you can uh, read the uh, the tweets that we provide throughout the day, comments on uh, the events of the day, the events of tomorrow, 
biblical prophecy, uh, reactions to uh, the current controversy swirling around. I think you'll find it an interesting read. And by all means, feel free to send your questions to us there as well. Now, before we get into why that was brought up, uh, would you like to start us off in a word of prayer? Yeah, absolutely. Father, thank you that we have this uh, opportunity to be able to come before you and to be able to look at uh, the uh, things going on in this world that leave so many people uh, so stirred up, uh, so confused, uh, so uh, uh, sometimes fearful about what tomorrow holds. But we know uh, who holds the future, and we know from your word quite a bit about where this world is heading. And it is so exciting to see the pieces of the puzzle coming together, reminding us that we could very well be the generation that sees your return. Uh, Lord, we pray that this broadcast would encourage people, that we would understand we have this blessed hope that you could return at any time, Lord, and uh, that that should change our lives in very practical and measurable ways. Uh, I pray for those who might be struggling a bit, that they might be able to get their questions to us about their struggles, and we could share with them how to walk uh, in your word. I pray, Father, for those that have uh, maybe uh, their foundation of faith shaken a bit in these skeptical times, that we could help shore that up and strengthen them so that they can take a strong stand for you as uh, we await your return, Lord. Thank you that we can uh, do this broadcast in light of that blessed hope. We pray, Father, that the people that join us will be edified, exhorted, and comforted. Thank you, Father, for being here with us. Guide us into your truth through the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. That is true. All right, so foreshadowed in regards to not mentioning Twitter for a while for reasons that don't need explaining, but me mentioning it again does. Why? Yeah, you know, uh, sometimes people will say, well, why are you guys talking about uh, Elon Musk's uh, takeover of Twitter? Uh, on a, a Christian broadcast. Well, fascinatingly, uh, the you know when you follow the dominoes as far as uh, what got uh, Elon Musk involved uh, with the possibility of buying Twitter. Obviously, there's a number of different motivations and reasons that uh, Elon Musk alone knows. But uh, fascinatingly, uh, a couple of things happened that I think uh, we need to uh, remember about. Uh, this uh, takeover of Twitter. Uh, by the way, uh, he purchased Twitter today for $44 billion. Uh, he has taken the company private. It is no longer a publicly held company. Uh, and that will allow basically him to be able to pick a board of directors, uh, be able to uh, adjust the algorithm in Twitter that has been used to uh, suppress uh, free speech. Uh, for quite some time. But, uh, you know, how did he go down this path? Well, it began, believe it or not, when uh, Elon Musk was uh, interviewed uh, on the Babylon Bee website. Now, if you're not familiar with the Babylon Bee, uh, it is a website that was put together by a gentleman named Adam Ford and others who are born-again evangelical Christians and was uh, put together in a way to be able to uh, counter, if you will, uh, quite a bit of the uh, propaganda that we get in our day and age by providing a Christian-based satire site. Uh, in, in other words, uh, one of the most effective tools for exposing uh, the lies that uh, come from those who don't know God is by uh, using the tool of humor. Uh, in fact, uh, no less an individual than uh, Saul Alinsky uh, who wrote the book Rules for Radicals, uh, talked about how potent a weapon uh, the satire was uh, because it immediately gets uh, those you are uh, combating with back on their heels, and it's very difficult 
uh, to fight back against uh, very well-reasoned ridicule, if you will. And so the Babylon Bee did that. Uh, and uh, the Babylon Bee came to the attention of a multi-million uh, or billionaire, uh, Elon Musk, uh, the fellow that is known for founding PayPal and using uh, that to uh, form SpaceX and uh, has uh, now uh, uh, conducted uh, you know, a number of uh, uh, spectacularly successful rocket missions to the International Space Station and uh, has plans uh, not only to uh, have uh, rockets and astronauts return to the moon, but even use that as a stepping stone to Mars. Well, Elon Musk uh, w- became fascinated with uh, the Babylon Bee website, so much so that he offered to be able to do a interview with the Babylon Bee leadership, and it is available for you on uh, the Babylon Bee website. You can look that up at babylonbee.com uh, or notthebee.com, their uh, sister website that gives you uh, updates on uh, the uh, events of the day uh, from that particular point of view. So uh, Elon Musk was interviewed on that. He didn't put his cards on the table as to where he's coming from spiritually, but he's very sympathetic uh, to uh, what the Babylon Bee was doing. He said he found it very humorous uh, and uh, was certainly one that he checked in on a regular basis. Well, lo and behold, uh, the Babylon Bee got into big-time trouble uh, because uh, it was suspended uh, by Twitter for naming uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services Rachel Levine, uh, the transgender Biden administration official, the title of Man of the Year. Uh, The Babylon Bee story was in reaction to the USA Today's naming of Levine, who is the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health and, uh, Health and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as one of its Women of the Year. Uh, Twitter said that it would restore the account, uh, which had more than 1.3 million followers, by the way, if the Babylon Bee deleted the tweet. But CEO Seth Dillon said they had no intention of doing so. His quote was, we're not deleting anything. Truth is not hate speech. If the cost of telling the truth is the loss of our Twitter account, then so be it. The band account noted that Levine, quote, serves proudly as the first man in that position to dress like a Western cultural stereotype of a woman. He's also an admirable admiral in the U.S. Pacific, uh, U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. What a boss. He often wears a dress, which some people think is weird, but he doesn't care one bit. The article continues, come on, men in India wear dress-type garments, don't they? Uh, so uh, as they published this, uh, Seth Dillon received a notice saying they had been locked out of their account for hateful conduct. According to Twitter rules, violating our rules against hateful conduct, you may not promote violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. Uh, And so uh, they labeled that article as being hate speech and dangerous, uh, again, uh, based upon that particular standard. Now, where this became quite hypocritical is that Twitter didn't see fit for instance, to lock out the Twitter account of the Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran, who regularly posted articles encouraging the destruction, the wholesale destruction of Israel and praising, for instance, what Adolf Hitler did in the Holocaust uh, or even denying that the Holocaust actually happened. 
So uh, the interesting thing about this was as a result of this, as a result of this banning that took place, uh, Elon Musk began to indicate that he was interested in purchasing Twitter because he felt that the Twitter, uh, the way Twitter was handled, their banning of certain sites and their allowing of certain sites was certainly not even-handed, and uh, that their algorithm, that is the computer program that shadow bans individuals who uh, make certain statements on Twitter at odds uh, with uh, the leanings of Jack Dorsey, the uh, previous founder of Twitter, and their uh, their uh, board. Uh, you know, he's they they said that they were going to continue to do that. Well, Elon Musk made a number of attempts to uh, join the board first on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, but uh, there was a poison pill that was uh, associated with Elon Musk joining the board. That is, Elon Musk could not purchase more than 15% of Twitter if he was a board member. So Elon Musk took a step back and refused to join the board as one of many equals that could debate these things. But business as usual would happen there. And so uh, this, uh, this uh, particular uh, purchase, this tender offer that he made for $44 billion or $54 a share, uh, Twitter, I'm not sure how it closed today as a result of all of this, was uh, trending at least $15, uh, maybe $20 a share lower than this. So it put the board of Twitter in a precarious position because if they turned down this offer, what they would be in danger of would be coming under fire from the Security and Exchange Commission for turning down an offer that was against the financial interests of its shareholders. In other words, if somebody comes along and offers you a, uh, a 10 to $15 dollar uh, per share increase in shares to purchase this sort of thing, well, anybody who owns Twitter stock was going to benefit from that. The only reason they would turn that down was to continue to maintain their control and be able not to, say, publish things like the uh, Babylon Bee website. And, and so uh, today uh, it was announced that the offer went through. Uh, literally, uh, Elon Musk gave them no other choice but to accept that offer. And now uh, Twitter is no longer a publicly traded company. It's now been taken private by Elon Musk. He controls the whole thing. As of airtime, right before airtime, I went on the Twitter website. I went and looked up uh, the Babylon Bee on Twitter. Uh, it did come up, but the last uh, published uh, installment of the Babylon Bee content on that website goes back to March 20th which was when they were banned for the Rachel Levine tweet. Now, will Twitter, uh, under Elon Musk, uh, not only allow the Babylon Bee to be able to publish their content without fear of censorship, but here's where things are really going to get intense. They also banned, right before the previous election, the Twitter account of Donald Trump. Will Twitter allow Donald Trump to use Twitter, as he did very effectively, uh, as uh, a campaign tool? Or will things, uh, again, before the upcoming election, uh, get uh, turned around? You know, there's all kinds of different ways that they could come against 
uh, the control of Elon Musk, the Security Exchange Commission, even the uh, Attorney General's office uh, had uh, been indicated to be looking into this deal or looking into Elon Musk to uh, see if there was some legal way or uh, some regulatory way they could keep him from purchasing this. Evidently, those efforts by the Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission failed because now we have Elon Musk as the head honcho of Twitter. So very interesting. Uh, we are on Twitter. We have maintained a presence on Twitter. Some of you do follow us on Twitter. We put up a link to our program on Twitter every day. Uh, Scott Richards at Scott R4H is our handle on Twitter. And uh, we do post uh, takes on just like you would get on this program. Uh, answers to biblical questions, uh, the events of the day, the events of tomorrow, uh, analysis of uh, current events through biblical prophecy. All that is available on there. Uh, and if you'd like to uh, follow us there on Twitter, I think you can do so uh, without the fear of us being either shadow banned. And, and we have seen some of that. We were at a certain level of followers on Twitter and suddenly, magically, uh, about 700 of our followers went away overnight. Uh, and that was kind of disconcerting, but it's building back up again. And uh, I would think with Elon Musk running that show and his sympathy for uh, the Babylon Bee, uh, very, very interesting to see how this tool can be used uh, to present the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the question always comes up, Sean, about uh, should believers in Jesus be in social media? Because so much of the content there is so profoundly negative, and some of it is just flat-out obscene. You know, a couple things I would say about that. First of all, if you're going to be active on social media, number one, make sure you have a, in place a solid set of boundaries about what kind of content you're going to take a look at on these things. Uh, because, Sean, let's face it, you don't have to go looking for like porn sites, they'll come looking for you if you're involved in social media, correct? In any category and with any topic matter, it will find you. The question, of course, isn't based on whether or not you're going to limit yourself and what you take in, but also what you put out, because these algorithms, even properly used, will, of course, contact you or communicate with you or cater to you based on the sort of things that you're posting. And so if you affiliate with the, and we'll just say it ironically, also not, the deeds of darkness or engage with certain topics regarding the world, even if in a positive sense you're communicating uh, objections to the um, grooming of children, the um, you know sex education bills and so forth, they'll look at those tags and go, oh, you're interested in sex education. Well, here's some samples of what they're putting out for those children. That's the sort of things you have to be mindful of. It's not, of course, to self-censor. It's an encouragement to be wise. Now, uh, in our ministry that we have, uh, here at the church, running light uh, that helps people that struggle with those kind of uh, issues, especially online. There are some resources that you can go to to make sure that you aren't, uh, you know, just being bombarded by these sort of things, correct? Not without opposition. Obviously, no system's perfect, and we've exchanged hands a few times regarding the compromises that have been made by companies that we've associated with. But there are generally three things that we recommend when it comes to wisdom and security online. The first, if you go to, again, our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, uh, click on Ministries and Teaching and Outreach, the 
sixth bar down will be titled Sexual Purity. You'll be then sent to betterpleasure.net, which is Bo Olet, who's on the program kind yep. of infrequently, not yep. in comparison to, say, Peter Martin, but yep. uh, he heads that ministry as its founder. Um, he will provide not only opportunities for you to contact and educate yourself, but also to note, get access to the resources that he himself recommends and uses, even among our staff. Uh, he is my accountability partner for two pieces of software, both computer desktops, which uses uh, two uh, filtration softwares. The first is NetNanny, which is kind of just a staple, its own filtration system. If it detects anything that would be uh, obscene, it'll just either block the page or, and this is also fun, um, if you're browsing sites and they have vulgarities put in the text, it'll replace those with asterisks and so forth. So so that's NetNanny, N-E-T-N-A-N-N-Y. Yeah. Right. And, of net. course, uh, they'll walk you through which and how to handle certain programs. That's one that I use for my desktop and also for my phone and computer as another layer. There's also a uh, software called Covenant Eyes uh, that isn't necessarily, it does have this feature like NetNanny to have a um, secure search engine and so forth that won't lead you to weird places, but there's always a way around it. What it does, and this is what I appreciate about it, is it takes random Un or uh, I guess uh, infrequent, so you don't know when, uh, screenshots of your device and sends it to your accountability partner. It's a willful violation of privacy, so nothing illegal. But the point being made is if something odd comes up, it's not as if, you know, you can't have an explanation. I was scrolling. That was one of the things that offered. I turned my head. But if the, you did struggle, it would add another layer to that accountability. And that is what we're trying to train. Not the mindset that, oh, if I get caught. No, it's I'm always under the scrutiny of my Lord. And I want to live my right. life in such a way. If I add a human element to this, and this is where we get into accountability, and say there's also other people that are watching me and I care about their opinion, maybe not uh, to the same degree I should in regards to God, but at least it adds to that mindset. What we're training people to do is to not only have that sort of perspective that sees sexuality in its proper light, but also immorality in its proper light. So when we encourage people to get these filters, it's not a means to an end. It's with the express purpose and goal, and this is true for social media, this is true of the internet in general, this is true of life in general. It's not a tech issue, it's a heart issue. Right. We make a covenant with our eyes that I would not look upon a woman, and that's the point that was made in Job. That was a long time before Twitter, let alone the internet. Yeah. So if we ask the question, what then is the solution, it's not to just you know get rid of everything in your life that could possibly lead you to pornography otherwise as first uh, corinthians chapter five would note that or six excuse me then you'd have to go out of the world i think it's five right but uh, the point being made is it is five yeah if we're put in a position where we have the opportunity to be proactive if there are regular venues by which we struggle with these things then seeking that kind of accountability is a good thing but the goal isn't to stop 
engaging with or prevent any possible means of the internet being the internet in your life or even your flesh being your flesh in your life. These things will always be there. And by the way, if you're saying, oh, this is just a guy issue, uh, we'll have Bo on. I'm sure soon enough he can pretty much soundly debunk that with the notes, facts, statistics, and records from these companies themselves. In fact, uh, female pornography use is at an all-time high. The point, though, is moot. When we're talking to people about purity, it's not about a neglect of impurity. It's right. a pursuit of what is good. If we love Jesus more than we love ourselves, and this is the end goal of sanctification, notice we're not there yet, then these sin issues are going to sort themselves out. If a wife is so consumed by bitterness, rage, resentment, and pride that she should see herself as the end-all be-all for her husband, and the fact that he would dare sin is grounds for divorce because anyone uh, who would ever look at those things just has no place in my life, well, guess what? That's immorality, too. If a husband justifies himself and says, well, everyone's doing it, or, oh, well, I'm not right. acting on it, or it's right. just images, it's not hurting anybody, right. it would be irrelevant to go into the lectures about funding for sex trafficking or uh, the sort of uh, physiological, which are, again, pride-based arguments, and saying, you're better than that. Don't submit to this, you child of God. You are superior to the force of this world. No, you're not. <laughs> and whether it's going to manifest in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, as First John chapter 2 says, we all stumble in many things. That's quoting James. The point being made is this, and this is what we want to encourage with this shift in the tide, so to speak, of free speech. It's a double-edged sword. It's one that we need to use as an opportunity to not only pursue the things that are good, but also to recognize the things that are evil because they aren't in line with the character of Jesus. The right. more we love him, the more these things will be sorted out. And if we recognize in ourselves that it's not just limited to lust, it's also in the anger that is oftentimes expressed on Twitter. It is also in right. the deception that is oftentimes expressed on Twitter. It is also in the pride and the self-aggrandizement and the tearing down of those who don't share your superior opinions or dare I say, even in the false doctrines that are put forward on Twitter. Right. It's all centered around truth. Those who have a love for the truth will hate the lie. We don't tell people, okay, well, here's a system in which you will never be exposed to a lie again. We encourage you to uh, take proactive steps in these things because just like a child who's just learning to walk, the idea of pursuing righteousness, especially in the advent of technology in right. the last 40 years, is a difficult task, and old habits die hard. But when we're talking to people about purity, it's not about, okay, how do I stop looking at porn? Or how do I stop being divisive towards people just instinctively on the Internet? And I, again, I can sympathize. It's sometimes fun to mess with people in a comedic sense who need to be messed with. But the point being made is this. If we're going to be a light for Christ, we need to first figure out where our heart stands. Right. And if the battle is taking place, then that in and of itself will be the best counteractment to the inevitable result when people struggle in this area. Am I really saved if I still struggle in these things? Hey, we're all struggling, whether it's in lust, whether it's in anger, whether it's in pride. Everyone has these deals of the flesh. What we don't want to do is cater to them. Twitter, unfortunately, is proactively pursuing and supporting something that is very good, 
but also something that is very damaging, very dangerous. Yeah. So we need to be prepared, and we'd recommend these resources. But note our mission and goal. It's not to give wives the opportunity to build themselves up and say, I'm superior to my husband because I don't default to sin in that way. Nor is it an opportunity for men to say, oh, well, I'm right with God because I don't do that stuff anymore. It's an opportunity for us to shore up our hedges and essentially say, here is how I'm proactively setting myself up to be a better witness for Christ rather than an asset for my own flesh. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the one thing I would add to that is uh, so many of you have shared just so, with such wonderful candor and honesty about the struggles that you have. And uh, I've seen so many people uh, question whether they belong to God because they struggle. Uh, the struggle that we have with sin is characteristic of a child of God. I would really encourage you to read through the entirety of Romans chapter 7, because there we see in very vivid terms the struggle with sin that the Apostle Paul had. Uh, You know, I I would think of uh, Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. He said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my flesh and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the thing that I love about this is that Paul honestly talks about a struggle that he continued to have. Notice it doesn't say, a wretched man that I was. Uh, When I was at Talbot Theological Seminary, I took a class on Romans, and uh, the professor put this in a way that I thought was really, really helpful. What's being described there is the tension of living in two ages at once. Uh, We are born again through God's Spirit. Positionally, we're already seated at the right hand of God. We're perfected. Uh, Even Romans chapter 8 says that we are already glorified, past tense, as far as God is concerned. But we live out this life that we have right now in this fallen world, and we are still fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and we have this fallen sinful nature. And so there is always going to be this struggle And I just really emphasize that word struggle because when people get into this mode of saying, oh, my goodness, I still struggle with sin. I must not be saved. One of the things I share with them is, you know what? If you weren't saved, there wouldn't be a struggle. You just give in to it. Uh, And uh, and that, I think, is the key thing. Yeah, we're going to have our victories. And yeah, we're going to have our defeats. And we're going to be tempted, tried and tested. I mean, there's going to be wars that the devil is going to win within our lives. But understand the grace of God that works within us can also begin to change us and we can begin to experience more and more that glorious liberation from a works-based righteousness with God 
and from the overwhelming power of sin and Satan in our lives. And so we do experience, on the other side of the coin, times where we have victory. Now, I realize that sometimes progress in our walk with God can be a three steps forward, two steps back samba in this life. Sometimes we get frustrated and we say, man, am, am I ever going to be righteous before the Lord? You know, I think a, a mark of real growth in our walk with God is realizing, you know, just what a huge struggle it is. I remember uh, not long after I got saved back in 1973, so much of my life changed so radically by becoming a Christian. I mean, obviously believing in God where I didn't believe in God at all. Uh, you know, my, uh, my habits at parties and things like that began to change. My, my language cleared up. And I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, man, so much has changed in six months. You know, I bet in, in, uh, like six years, I'm going to be just like Jesus. But the more you grow in your walk with God, the more you discover that you need to grow in your walk with God. And, uh, you know, the more you grow, the more you realize that, um, yeah, God does take some things out of our lives pretty rapidly, but then he starts working at the roots. You know, I used to work uh, keeping uh, up some avocado property that uh, my grandparents owned in California. And part of the job was going through and taking out the weeds. And, you know, this was even before the weed whacker was invented, but I'd take this big scythe and I'd hack down all these weeds and uh, the place looked great for about a week and a half. But then all these weeds would just spring up again overnight. Well, the reason for that was I managed to take off the tops of the weeds. But until you get the roots out, you haven't really defeated the problem. You know, and, and in the same way, God will take out the tops of the weeds in our lives. But then he begins to work on the roots. And that working in on the roots, replacing our sinful inclinations with a desire to walk in the Holy Spirit. Uh, allowing us to be able to see these areas where we really do have to surrender these things to God day by day and learning to have victory in these areas. You know, it takes time and it takes uh, perseverance. But, you know, the, the wonderful thing is it doesn't necessarily have to take forever because we can experience real growth in our walk with God. We begin to reflect the character and likeness of Jesus. But the more you do that, and the more you begin to understand who Jesus is and how amazing his character is, and the more you look at yourself, the more you realize, man, uh, I definitely have a long way to go before I'm like Christ. So keeping that in balance, I think, keeps us from being defeated in these areas. And making these practical steps you mentioned, Sean, can really help us and facilitate our growth in these areas. So, um, you know, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there's any virtue or anything worthy of praise, let your mind think on these things. There's a reason I didn't have to look at my Bible to tell you that, because I memorized that, you know, and I try to keep it as a grid within my life. If I'm online or watching TV or, or interacting with people in the world, I want to have that as a, a, a way of straining out those things that aren't helpful to me. You know, and there's eight characteristics there. And you go, well, Scott, you know, I'm not good at memorizing things, and I don't know if I can remember all those eight things. Remember this. All those things describe the character of Jesus. And if I look at things and I go, is this helping me to fall in love more with the Lord today? Is this reflective more and more of the love of Jesus in my life? Do I really need that? You know, would the Lord be grieved if, uh, you know, he, he saw me? Because he does. You know, the more I fall in love with Jesus, the more I discover and a lot of these uh, so-called uh, gray areas and difficult issues tend to resolve themselves. So, you know, hide God's word in your heart, 
Pray daily for the filling and empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Read Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the full armor of God each and every day. And then we got a fighting chance. You know, sometimes we'll be more successful than others. It's not a guarantee that if you do these things, you're always going to be victorious. But uh, the Lord is going to lead you in a place, uh, not of perfection this side of heaven, but progression this side of heaven. That's where the Christian life gets exciting. All right. Um, And also as a follow-up on this as well, a bit of a current events report, Monica wanted to know if there was anything more we had to add regarding Amir uh, Safardi's uh, blog post and so forth. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to uh, read Amir's update today, but uh, there was a very interesting article in Jerusalem Post uh, with the headline, Jordan's King Abdullah agrees with Joe Biden on the need to defuse Jerusalem tension by standing for the idea of a two-state solution, a Palestinian state and a Jewish state standing side by side in the promised land. Well, there's a problem with two-state solution. Uh, The people that are running the one state that we have there now, the Palestinian territories, uh, is run by a fellow by Mahmoud Abbas, who has overstayed his uh, term limits uh, by about 11 years now. Uh, Fatah uh, is not willing uh, to have an election there. Fatah is another name for the Palestine Liberation Organization founded by Yasser Arafat with one goal in mind. Before Israel even took uh, East Jerusalem and the West Bank, it was founded prior to this in 1963 with the idea of wiping Israel as a state off the map. That's what Fatah was all about. Uh, Fatah will not allow elections in the Palestinian territories for one reason— Poll after poll shows that if they do, the people there will vote in Hamas as the new government there. Now, Hamas has as their charter, in no uncertain terms, the extermination of Israel and the killing of every Jew as their uh, holy duty before Allah as uh, Muslims. That, that is what they exist to do, and that's why they rain down rockets on a regular basis from the area that they control in the Gaza Strip. You know, and so, you know, if you're talking about a two-state solution, sounds all well and good until you look at the uh, individuals that would run that second state. And if you have a two-state solution, the idea of a fully-blown Palestinian, quote-unquote, state would also allow them to be able to have their own military. Uh, And uh, if that were to happen, they would have a military. They would be able to freely import uh, weapons of increasing sophistication and destruction And uh, the idea of uh, these two states side-by-side living at peace, I I think, is a non-starter to begin with. So, you know, if, you know, the idea of two-state solution sounds good diplomatically, but uh, boy, oh boy, especially when you see what Iran is up to these days and uh, what uh, Hezbollah, Iran's main uh, terrorist client, is doing these days, uh, you realize that that is a non-starter, which brings up another very interesting thing. You can look this up online at uh, jpost.com, the Jerusalem Post website. The most read story on jpost.com is a story we ran for you last week uh, with this headline, When Blood Spills on Passover and Easter, It's Time to Build the Temple. That is really gaining traction with people. And one of the, the real prophetically significant uh, things that we have pointed out to you time and time again is that there is going to be a Jewish temple rebuilt on its historic site. Now, according to passages uh, like we see in Ezekiel chapter 42, there is going to be a wall built 
that is going to separate the holy from the profane or the common. Well, why would they use the word profane? Well, if you look at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, written in Arabic on the outside of it, are the words, God is not begotten, neither does he beget. So uh, you can see why that would be considered profane in the eyes of God. In uh, Revelation chapter 11, it does appear that there is going to be a separate area for the Gentiles and for this Jewish temple in the last days. So, you know, I think it's fascinating that uh, the idea that a Jewish temple here would be something that could rally all sides into peace. I think it's setting the stage for this strong covenant with many that the Antichrist is going to bring in, according to Daniel chapter 9. So fascinating stuff indeed. All right. Uh, going out to our questions, this is from our website. Uh, wants to know about an individual who was the founder of a uh, still ongoing group referred to as the uh, 12 Tribes Communities. Uh, the founder recently passed away. His name's Eugene Spring. Um, I'm going through their website right now, 12tribes.org, and it's uh, certainly an interesting one. Um, if by what do you want to know about them uh, as far as their claims and beliefs, their distinctives seem pretty straightforward as far as the, I guess, contribution to the world scene seems like a Amish equivalent or one of these isolated communities that uh, hold as their charter that if man gives up uh, what he has uh, then more will be given to them in the kingdom of heaven. And so they apply that literally and temporally in this life that they abandon society and join these little communes, uh, comparable somewhat to the kibbutzes that you would see in Israel today. Uh, however, when it comes to the real issue as far as what someone does with their time going off the grid or whatever, couldn't be less relevant. They can do what they want. But when it comes to their claims and doctrine, they seem to talk out of both sides of their mouth on some pretty essential issues, the two of which that I will bring up, at least for now, if we have more time to look into them, I'll let you know. Feel free to ask this question as a follow-up if you'd like. But uh, the two main and big issues are, of course, that they have a very twisted view of works righteousness, that if you aren't modeling their example in this abandoning father and mother house home for the Lord, then that reflects an unregenerate and therefore unsaved heart. It's, uh, again, not something they would admit to, but it is is something that can lead down to those kinds of teachings. The other uh, interesting one, and again, you can clarify this with a person-by-person -person basis, but uh, their desire for the Holy Spirit to give them new revelation daily for the uh, little issues they experience in life. Obviously, in their distinctives, they make a point of saying we don't go beyond the Bible, but when they uh, make these claims about progressive revelation in their charter, it's still hard to figure out which is meant by what. I won't make an accusation. I'll just note that's an area of concern for me because there's plenty of cult groups that would do this. Uh, as far as the outright accusation that they are a cult, we usually come up with an acronym to spot one, and we'll encourage the individual who asked the question to go through this in what you're familiar with about them. The cult uh, acrostic that we use, C-U-L-T, is what we use to discuss or to judge that metric as to whether or not this is the kind of uh, biblical teaching you'd want to sit under or regard. The first C stands for Christ. Who do they say that he is? Uh, they make a lot of insistence on calling him Yeshua, but that's not really relevant. No, that's fine. It's 
was he who he claimed to be, the second member of the Trinity, the eternal, preexistent God the Son, who became a man in a moment of history, died on a Roman cross, and rose again the third day, as he predicted, for the redemption of our sins. The second in the acrostic, you, is for understanding. How do you understand the scriptures? Is it through their resources, their leaders, their approaches, or is the Bible alone sufficient for life and godliness, and as that, it says? And that becomes a pro, you know, not just for this particular group, but uh, there's an awful lot of groups that are involved with what's known as the Hebrew Roots movement these days. And one of the dicey things, and you've got to ask each individual, you know, one-on-one, what they believe about this, but uh, there are those that will elevate the Torah as the foundational teaching for the church, almost to the exclusion or demotion of the New Testament. They they, they will say things like, uh, you know, it's secondary in importance and is only to be understood in light of the Old Testament. Well, we would say, honestly, you can't really understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old, but some take it to the point where they say the New Testament is faulty and only relevant in light of the Old Testament. And uh, again, there are those in the movement that will also uh, attack the doctrine of the Trinity because of that. Uh, this is entirely facetious, but it seems like if they were to read the book of Galatians, their eyes might catch on fire. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, and, and again, uh, there are aspects of the Hebrews' roots teaching that are are uh, useful, but really it kind of runs into problems in the L in our acrostic, right? Which stands for legalism. Are you right with God based on what he's done or what you do? Again, they will talk out of both sides of their mouth on this, but if you read through their distinctives and their charter, it's ultimately going to be a conflicted issue, and that's not the kind of uh, scoring you want to get in a pass-or-fail examination as to whether or not this is a cult or not. But note that if they say that you have to do these things, you have to sell these magazines, you have to follow our metric of worthiness, you have to uh, sell, uh, you know, amount of Girl Scout cookies or whatever to be right with God, fill in the blank. I just gave examples from Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, and soccer moms. Or celebrate certain festivals, go through certain rituals, in order to be right with God. Yeah, you have to be water baptized in our church. You have to be circumcised in order to be saved. That or you have to observe the Passover Yeah, or the other Jewish feasts, which is where the Hebrew roots movement, some aspects of it, begins to drift. And that's ultimately what brings us back to the T is trust. Who do they tell you to trust? Lord or us. Now note, they would make that distinction. Oh no, trust the Lord. We believe that he'll lead you into all truth and that what we believe is the truth. Otherwise we wouldn't believe it. All along good, but uh, that L is starting to make a little mark on your forehead. I think that there's a uh, area to be concerned about there. If you want to do that, great, but don't think it makes you right with God. If you teach this as if it's how you're right with God, then I'd uh, have some words for you. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, uh, going back to the first conflict between uh, God's Word and uh, a Hebrew roots movement, uh, in Acts 15, uh, we are told this debate about how Gentiles could be saved. Do Gentiles have to become Jewish converts and then go through the Jewish initiation ritual of circumcision in order to receive the Jewish Messiah. Well, that was a huge, huge issue. And uh, the first church council, the Jerusalem council, explored that. I love what Peter said about this. He 
stood up and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. They shall, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. I love the way that Peter phrases that, especially in light of the audience listening to them. He didn't say, um, they will be saved in the same manner as us. He said, we will be saved in the same manner as them, which was probably a mind blower to the average Jewish person there who were like, well, you know, I don't really like Gentiles. I was always taught they were logs to stoke the fires of hell, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to make an allowance for them if they come over to my side. No, what Peter is saying is, no, you need to understand what God's plan is. It's not that we're saved by our Jewishness. It's not that we're saved by our rituals. It's not that we're saved by keeping certain festivals. We're only saved by grace. The other is a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. So got to be very, very careful with these things. And as we said, different groups uh, will, you know, have different uh, ideas about these sort of things. It's almost like uh, saying, you know, are all Catholics saved or, or not? You have to talk to the individual Catholic and understand what they uh, believe about the crucial issues. So, All right. Let's know if that helps you out. Uh, here's a question on our Facebook page. This is from Robert, who wants to know, what is the proper context, attitude, and execution of rebuking someone specifically in the church? Well, I, I think maybe the best scripture, Robert, that I've come across, and believe me, uh, uh, I have... Uh, unfortunately had to be in places where I've had to call people out uh, who were uh, either involved with promoting false doctrine, uh, instituting divisive teachings within the church, or involved uh, with immorality uh, and still wanting to maintain a veneer of spirituality. Uh, You know, I found that in uh, that situation, Uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 is probably the best place to go. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Notice the number one goal here is restoration. Not rebuke, but restoration. Rebuke is a tool that we use to restore somebody. It's not to show that we're right and you're wrong, or there's the door, don't let the screen door hit you on the way out. It's the idea of restoring somebody. And notice how we restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, The idea of gentleness, also translated meekness in some uh, Bibles, is the idea of strength under control. It's the idea of a well-trained horse that responds instantly to its writer's command. It doesn't mean, oh, I don't want to offend you. I want you to like me. Don't you like me? You know, I mean, that's the... No, it's the idea that even though there might be part of us that just really wants to drop the rebuke hammer, uh, and, and sometimes that's necessary. I was reading uh, Chuck Smith's commentary on Acts, and he was talking about how when the Jesus movement got going and these hippies were getting saved... Uh, it seemed to draw some of these people that were promoting legalism and cults 
to try to bring these hippies aside. He talked about this one guy who was regaling a group of these hippies uh, with the idea that they hadn't been baptized properly because they'd been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he said, you only should be baptized in the name of Jesus. And if you're baptized any other way, uh, it's the mark of the beast or something like that. And Chuck said he heard that and engaged the guy in conversation. The guy wasn't going to budge. And so he said he physically removed him from the grounds and told him that he would probably get worse if he ever came back. Now, (laughs) that is uh, a rebuke. You know, again, namby-pamby, you know, kind of want you to like me. No, but, you know, again, strength under control is the idea here. But notice something else, Robert. It says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, here's, I think, the compass heading. If you're going to be in a situation where you've got to rebuke or correct somebody, only rebuke them, only correct them in the same way you would want to be rebuked or corrected, how? If the shoe is on the other foot, if you were the recipient. Yeah. So, you know, again, the basic law of love in the church is that we are to do unto others how? As we would have them do unto you. In these situations, that's really key. Now, some people say, but what if they, you know, uh, you know, uh, arch their back and dig in their heels and, and so on? Well, that's when you go to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 mm-hmm. and following. We are told uh, if uh, your brother sins against you, first you go to him privately. If he hears you, you've won your brother. Now, notice it doesn't say go to 20 people in the church and tell them what a rotten, no good so-and-so this person is. Go to that person individually and privately. If he hears you, you've won your brother. If he doesn't hear you, what's the next step? Find someone in the church, someone of authority in whose walk with God you would want to emulate and address them together. Once again, this is still a private affair. Yeah. But you're inviting a mediator, someone to meet in the middle so that you can clarify, okay, you obviously think I'm in the wrong for calling you out on this. I'd like to bring this other individual in. Can you hear them out too because they share my opinion on and, this? And the goal here is that everything can be established by two or three witnesses. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to have two or three witnesses seeing this person in the act before no. you can correct them. What it, does, what it does mean is that the two or three witnesses witness the interaction and even the response of that individual to godly correction. And we have this acted out personally. We're not just twisting it to meet our sensibilities. And the final stage would be after strike one and strike two have been executed. You don't then throw them out of the church. You bring them before the church. However, since that's going to make, it's going to be a public declaration, whether it's maybe bringing them before the board of elders or any other form of leadership, it would be a group reputation and saying, look, you're alone in this. As far as you digging in your heels on this issue, this needs to be dealt with. And if they still refuse to come on the carpet with it, no, any confession or acknowledgement, if they repent 70 times in a day, right? Right. But no, the point being made is that if they still continue to be adamant about this, no, God has sanctified my relationship, or no, you guys don't know what you're talking about, well, then to treat them as a non-believer. That doesn't mean that you wish hell upon them. It means you treat them as if they need Jesus, because right now they're not acting like him. Yeah. So, you know, that I think, you know, you keep those two scriptures in mind. Galatians chapter 6 Matthew 18, and the spirit in which it's intended, uh, then I think you're getting somewhere. The other thing that you've got to realize is, is if 
a person has been rebuked or corrected, uh, you reject that person after a first and second warning, the scripture says, knowing that such a person is twisted and sinning, uh, being self-deceived. There does come a time where you've got to draw a line and just say, you're out, you know, you're done. That's Uh, that's the limit of church discipline is saying, just don't come back until you've got this sorted out. And, you know, the, the, the problem these days, Robert, unfortunately, is if that happens in a church, the person will probably just go up the freeway to the next church and be incognito and do the same thing. Back in these days, there was usually just one body in each city, you know, that uh, would be overseen by one group of elders. And uh, the idea of church discipline there uh, was uh, a lot more potent, if you will. But the other thing is this, you know, that Jesus follows up by saying, where two or more would gather in my name, there I'll be in the midst. Some people will say, oh, yeah, that's about worship. You know, we're here to worship the Lord, so the Lord's in there, which is true. But what Jesus is saying is, is if you decide to rebuke or correct somebody, understand this, I'm there with you. And that person might get away with playing fast and loose with the truth or going to some other fellowship. But guess what? God is watching, and God is the one who ultimately has to correct them. And the hope as well is the one to continue to convict their hearts so that they will come back. The goal is restoration. Uh, Real quick, we have a minute and 15 seconds before we have to sign off. There's a few questions I at least want to verbalize so we know that you're being acknowledged here at least. Okay. Uh, We want you to email these to us. We'll go into more detail tomorrow. A few I can just kind of brush off hand. Um, Yari wants to know if uh, Elon Musk gave his life to Christ. No, we oftentimes reference individuals like Jordan Peterson who have high regard and respect for the Christian scriptures. As far as we know, he has not. But yeah, he acknowledges the existence of God, but he's about one step back from that. It's just not relevant to him. Uh, Mac, you want to know more about Moses and the bronze serpent as well as the three talents in the Bible? Email that to us in a little bit more detail. Peter and I will be happy to address it tomorrow if we have time. Holly wants to know what Leviathan and uh, what is Leviathan and what was its original purpose. It literally means king of the beasts. It was uh, likely a very uh, dangerous sea creature, and like any other, before the fall, we don't know. After the fall, probably population control. That's usually what apex predators do. Um, and then uh, Yari wants to know if there's a biblical way for a church to ask for tithes and offerings. Just as long as you specify it's not a salvation issue and it should be done cheerfully, that's fine. And then finally, Nina wants to know if there are any living descendants of Jesus today. A Catholic, a relative of hers, wants to know if there's been any power transferred from that genetic line. The short answer is no. The long answer we'll be happy to deal with in more detail tomorrow. Feel free to email us. But uh, the music is coming on. Yeah, and uh, thank you all so much for being a part of the broadcast today. Be praying for Elon Musk, that he would come to know the Lord and uh, be praying for the Babylon Bee and their ministry. Thanks for being with us. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.